Welcome to the Artipop Podcast. As the founder of Artipop, I've always felt we live in a highly conventional era when it comes to motherhood. But also that change is near. Therefore, I created this podcast to give voice to different refreshing perspectives around motherhood and life in general. To empower you and all the women around you to trust their intuition. I've asked a journalist whose work I love, Kaira van Wijk, to host this series for you. Let's use our feminine energy to shape the future. I hope you're with me. Please enjoy. Happy to have you with us today. This is your host, Kaira. So please introduce you to Deborah Hanekamp, aka Mom Medicine. She wrote the bestseller Ritual Boss. She's a renowned seeress, meaning she can read auras or energy fields. Healer and shaman, who was trained in a Peruvian Amazon for many years. Today she lives in Williamsburg, New York, with her Dutch husband, Herman, and her seven-year-old daughter, Monai. Quite the story, since doctors told Deborah in her late teens that she would never be able to conceive because of severe problems with her ovaries. In this episode, she also talks about children's natural energetic gifts, spirit babies, and being your own healer. Well, hi, Deborah. I'm I'm so excited for this talk we're about to have today. A lot of questions. Thanks for joining us. Um, we've known each other for a little while because I did a reading with you a few years back. And then I went on your retreat last year, which was all about resilience. And that's so fitting for 2020, of course. So the first question I have for you is how have you been practicing resilience yourself these last couple of months? Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really happy to be able to spend this time with you. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I've been practicing resilience through doing what I can that reminds me of who I am. So, you know, not getting so distracted by everything that's going out in the world, going on in the world and just like outside my own window, Um, but actually just really practicing staying grounded by doing things that remind me of who I am, like going for walks by the water or in the park, Um, of course, taking ritual baths and meditating and just things that really help me to feel like I'm centered and grounded. And that also touches on what you really believe in to be your own healer. And I think that's such, for your followers, they know, but it's such an important message, uh, I feel, especially in wellness and spirituality. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So it's not like be your own healer, like don't go to the doctor or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, trust yourself, trust that inner voice that's within you, you know, listen to that inner voice, listen to your intuition. Instead of asking outside of yourself for opinions and instead of looking at yourself as something broken that needs to be fixed, you realize that you are 
this constant work in progress. You are always evolving. You are always shifting and changing and growing. And the answers that you are seeking will come to you when they are meant to. You know, the the moves, the changes you're meant to make in life, they're going to come to you and you're going to recognize them when you are meant to. And that's being your own healer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so powerful also saying that we're always going to be a work in progress. And that makes life all the more exciting, I feel. And also it makes me feel more at peace, you know, with like all the ebbs and flows that we go through. What I also want to ask you, of course, for everyone listening who is not familiar with your work, you're called Mama Medicine, um, which I love that name. It's such a brilliant name. But could you um, tell everyone how you've become Mama Medicine and what, what that name means for you? Well, mama to me means working with the divine feminine energy that is within us all. That really is just receptivity and spirituality and this understanding that we are all connected and united. And the medicine is what connects us and the medicine is love. And so mama medicine to me is sort of like the receptivity and like the embrace of love. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I know a couple of years ago, um, if you did an interview or something, they would call you a curandera, which is uh, an Amazonian healer. Yeah. Is this something you consider yourself to be still, like you really embody that being an uh, Amazonian healer? Like what led you to the path becoming the healer that you are today? Well, I have always been a really spiritual being Mm -hmm. and um, I always have seen colors around people and just had my own way of connecting to spirituality, despite being raised in a very strict um, Baptist upbringing. And I think that when I graduated high school, there was just no university Um, or standard education for what I wanted to do. Like I knew that I wanted to help to heal the world. And so instead of university, I went back and forth to Thailand for five years and studied sound healing and healing with crystals and energy healing. And I, I studied yoga and um, I studied Reiki, and then I went back and forth to the Peruvian Amazon for eight years, and I did a whole apprenticeship there and what we now know as shamanism, but there they just call it healing. So when you read Initiated Amazonian Curindera, you know, at the end of that eight-year process, I received um, what is called a coronation within the Mestizo lineage, meaning that I could now lead my own ayahuasca ceremonies. But the thing is that while I deeply love and respect all of these different traditions, like, you know, the yoga, the Reiki, the Amazonian shamanism, none of them are really mine. Mm -hmm. Not only that it's like not my culture of origin, but also that it, it, it just didn't feel like I was embodying myself in totality when I would practice any of these different um, modalities. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it took a lot of deep soul searching within and looking at like what really is 
true to me, what really is mine. And that is that from, you know, day one, and as long as I can remember, I've always been able to see really a lot about people when I first meet them. Mm -hmm. And I've also had this overwhelming sense of empathy and care for what I see when I see people. And instead of me trying to validate that gift through these different trainings and programs, I decided to empower myself, pair everything that I was using way down, way back, put down all the tools that I picked up along the way and connect to what really felt like mine, which is what a medicine reading is now, mm-hmm. where when you come, you know, first of all, because it's based on you being your own healer, we talk about anything that's going on in your life. And I ask you to be specific. And then we sit together for like 30 seconds in silence and stillness. And I read your aura and I tell you about what I see coming up. And then we do a whole healing ceremony because one of the things that I found, especially in my eight-year apprenticeship going back and forth from the Amazon was my voice. Hmm. And so, and, and the understanding of how to use my voice to heal. And so we do a whole healing ceremony where I send distance healing and hold intention and hold space for you and, and sing. And I also use crystal tone singing bowls, um, so it, it's a very experiential ceremony. I recommend for you to do a specific breathing, although you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I send you on your way with some homework and a prescription for a ritual bath. You know, ritual baths is something that I was introduced to way, way back in my Baptist upbringing. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the ways that I really empower myself to be my own healer. And so it's a practice that I'm really happy to share with people as a gateway into being one's own healer. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I also have your book, of course, Ritual Boss, which is um, you can really make uh, yeah, a healing ceremony for yourself in a bath. I don't have a bath actually here in Amsterdam, but I could do like a foot bath. Um, why is water such a strong medicine for you also well water is the most powerful element like you know it's so open and so receptive but also it can find its way around or through any obstacle you know Mm -hmm. and um it always has this like trust in itself so if you put water in a glass, it's still water. You know, it's not a glass of water. It's just water. If you put water in a tub, it's not a tub of water. It's water, you know? Mm-hmm. So I love its formlessness and whatever form it takes. I think that's something we can learn a lot from because now in modern times, we're so overly focused on the form we take being occupation or different ways we identify ourselves Mm -hmm. and water teaches us the power of formlessness in in any form yeah and also all of life is connected to water 
all of life is connected to water. I think because of that, water maybe is the soul that connects us all or it's life itself, you know? It's a life force in a way, I guess. It is a life force. Yeah. But I also find so interesting is um, that you're reading auras, of course, which are basically energy fields. And you talked about that a little bit as well. But what I find so interesting is that it started for you. You probably, you were born with it, of course, but it started for you when you were a child. But back then it wasn't really recognized or you didn't have the environment who maybe would like um, uplift that gift. Could you share a little bit more about that? What it was like to um, discover that you could read auras as a child? Yeah, so I remember like just always seeing auras and I'm sure I was born with it or maybe it's something that woke up in me in very early years. But I, um, I remember being 12 And I remember explaining to my friends the different colors and shapes I saw around people and what they meant. And my friends looking at me like I was crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of like didn't tell. I, I, I didn't really tell anyone ever again after that unless they were like really, really close to me, like a best friend or a boyfriend or something like that. And then when I, you know, when I was putting down all the other tools that I picked up along the way, And, you know, by the way, with all these different tools, I have to say, like, with learning and learning about healing, I don't think I'll ever be done. Like, I think I still have so much more to learn. But it's also, like, feel really feeling through what feels authentic to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that whole putting down of the tools was the search of authenticity. And I realized that the aura seeing was the one thing that I was keeping hidden. And it also was um, the one thing that I needed to like kind of come out with and not be embarrassed about. <laughs> yeah, out in the light, basically, out in the open. Yeah. yeah. And it's often said, or I, I hear this a lot, actually, that children are more spiritual and adults are maybe not more spiritual, but they're like more open to the spirit world, especially before they can actually talk. What What's your idea about this? Yeah, I think that like babies really, really feel energy, mm-hmm. you know, most, most, you know, they'll feel like somebody being nervous around them or they'll feel, and they'll react through like crying or laughing, you know, mm-hmm. and they're, they're reaction is kind of unfiltered. I actually feel like we, even adults are still that sensitive. We just have like learned how to filter our intuitive reaction to people. Mm-hmm. I think babies are, are very open. I think children are very open. Um, and I think you see it start to change the more they get told what form they are meant to take. I all of a sudden remember also someone telling me, it's like when we learn languages, it's like, okay, so that's a bird, that's a tree, that's a person. Then uh, you kind of lose this idea of what else it could be. Yeah. And so I guess you're, you're, that already makes you less open in a way. I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
I totally agree. Yeah. Would you describe Monai to be a spiritual kid? Yeah, I think she's a, she is a very spiritual kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, she always has been, and she always has been really open. And um, my job as her mom is just to encourage that. Um, and make sure that she can really find her own form of spirituality. So I'll introduce her to the different practices and things that I have and that I do that help me to feel grounded. But I also make sure that I leave room for her to find her own way mm-hmm. and kind of pave her own path as well. But did you recognize a certain openness with her when she was a baby before she could speak? Yeah, I mean... Baby Munai was just <laughs> like love embodied. Uh, you know, she she just she never really cried. She only cried if she really needed something. Like she was very, very peaceful, very content, like just a little a little dream. I mean, I I still see the same openness in her now as she had then um and I definitely noticed like if we were around people that I felt a little strange about they would pick her up or even sit next to her she would start crying which she never really did Mm -hmm. and she you know she had like really strong reactions to different people like Luciana, um, who you've met before, was around when Munai was first born. She's a dear, dear friend of the family um, and Munai's godmother. And Munai was just so, just so happy around her and just so peaceful around her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were you very open to like bring her everywhere or were you a bit more cautious about it because you felt, as a baby... Uh, because she felt she was quite sensitive to energies. Well, I would bring her everywhere that I would go. And because I'm really sensitive to energy as well, I I feel like our children maybe find us in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the mother that she needs to help guide her energy. So, yeah, I would bring her everywhere. I mean, when when she was one, we did a mom and daughter camping trip in Mount Shasta. So we were camping on the mountain and then during the day going for hikes and I was just carrying her around in the woven wrap. I mean, she's been, she, she's a Sagittarius rising. So she is like just a real traveler. I was also wondering because as you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's a lot of talk about raising children anti-racist and reviewing our history classes. Um, additionally, do you feel there should also be more room to support children with their natural energetic gifts, like maybe even not just in their upbringing at home, but also in in school? And and if so, how how could we go about that? You know, I think with the the Black Lives Matter movement and educating children to be anti-racist, it's a very empowering thing to do. Yeah. Like it when it's done when it's done in the the right way, I guess, when it's done in a very like loving way that is digestible for children. Yeah. It's a very empowering thing and I I hope that 
this is something that starts to activate activities taught in standard schools that are very empowering for children, like embodying themselves, you know, like not just, not just um, basic sports, but maybe also like more focus on dance being a part of gym class and movement, you know, more like maybe a little bit more feminine energy in uh, physical education. Um, maybe also like introducing them to different ways of connecting to their own spirits from all over the world, you know, um, not necessarily religion, but the places where all religions sort of intersect. Mm -hmm. So we can see how connected we all are. Yeah. And maybe different activities like meditation and things like that, that just help to, to, to help children find their own ground and their own voice within them. Yeah. I would love to see things like that start to happen and, and even more of this empowerment. Yeah, I feel for me, what's really been a game changer is finding my own voice and a truth within myself. But I only discovered this in my mid-late 20s, basically. But I can only imagine if that already happens like earlier on as a child, if you start like connecting to that part of yourself and connecting to your intuition and your inner wisdom, that will be so powerful, I think. And you talked a little bit about traveling a lot uh, with Munai, with your whole family, of course. Do you think you'll still be traveling a lot after COVID-19 kind of died down a bit more? Or Well, yes. I mean, we, you know, we have this connection to the Netherlands because my husband is Dutch. Yes. And so part of, I think part of helping Munai to be grounded is the hope that we'll be able to spend more time out there as well. And she can be connected with this Dutch part of her as well. Yeah. Um, and also we are, we are, uh, a traveling family like we we are all all three of us are very adventurous people mm -hmm. so I do think that when it feels right to travel again we will I do have to say though if I'm being totally honest right now I've been enjoying being home mm -hmm. and not traveling and not going on an airplane like there's you know There's something that has felt really good about this too in the midst of all the chaos. Yes, to really ground yourself in one place, I guess. Right. How would you describe your family dynamics and Herman's role in the household? He used to be a model, now he's a stay-at-home dad. Yeah, his, you know, he definitely reached like this peak point in his modeling career mm -hmm. where he was like, If I walk away from it now, I'm going to feel really complete and like I did everything that I I wanted to and needed to do. And if I keep going with it, I I'm going to stop enjoying it. That in combination with he got really sick, he um, he was experiencing 
ulcerative colitis and ulcers and everything was getting worse by having to fly so much. I mean, he, he was having to fly just so much. And so we, we looked at it like my work, it might be something to put more energy into because it's probably healthier for the whole family. Mm -hmm. If we focus more on my work rather than him making himself sick by traveling all over the place. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was like a big decision in the family and was a risky one, but we're all really happy that we did it for sure. And he'll, he, he is one of these people who is going to be really good at anything he does. And I think as Munai gets older, he's going to step into, you know, another career or maybe he'll go, back into modeling or maybe, you know, who knows what will happen, but he's just one of these people who can like pick anything up and do it really well. So it'll be exciting to see what comes through for him when Munai gets a little bit older. And how did he actually heal? Did he just heal because he slowed down or? Well, actually, uh, we, we, he was, it was getting really bad. Like, he was so, so skinny and he was waking up in the morning, throwing up. I mean, it was, it was getting really, really bad. And there was no allopathic medicine that was really helping. And he was then trying to do all of these different cleanses that wasn't helping. And I was like, okay, that's it. We're going to the Amazon. I'm taking you to the Amazon. Like that's the end of story, you know? Yeah. Um, and so he did two dietas where you go into the Amazon and you, you're basically like eating very, very simple, simple foods, no salt, no sugar, just like a potato that's boiled and that's it kind of diet mm-hmm. once a day. And then you're drinking a strong infusion of a particular plant to help you heal. And then you're also drinking ayahuasca. And so he did... And that's for 10 days. He did a dieta with my teacher. And then he did a dieta with another really powerful healer that we were fortunate enough to meet down there who worked with him one-on-one for about a month until he got better. Mm -hmm. And I think that the dieta that he did with my teacher really helped to heal the emotional causes of the illness, because, you know, most, most illness begins on a spiritual level and then it hits the emotional body and then it hits the physical body. So the first was to heal the spiritual and emotional stuff. And then mm-hmm. the second dieta was healing a lot of the physical stuff and sort of giving a, a bomb to those internal wounds. That's so interesting that you're saying that also with illness, of course, that the emotional body is such a big part of it as well, not just the physical body. We have to take everything into account, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And didn't you give birth in the Amazon as well? Or was I, or am I wrong here? I didn't give birth in the Amazon. We did a home birth here in New York, um, but I got the plants that I needed to be able to become pregnant in the Amazon. So I had been trying to become pregnant for for years before I went on this one dieta. 
And I never really spoke to my teacher about it. I thought it was something that probably just wasn't going to happen for me because when I was younger, I had a, a big tumor on one of my ovaries that crushed ovary and fallopian tube and had a surgery, got the tumor out, the ovary out, the fallopian tube out. And then when I was later, I had a bunch of cysts that were crushing my other ovary. And so I kind of, I kind of was like, you know, hopefully it'll work out. And I was doing a lot of things like acupuncture and Mayan abdominal massage to help try to increase fertility and, and get rid of the cysts and things like that. And then I went on this one dieta and I, I was there, you know, I speak, I speak pretty, pretty good Spanish. My teacher speaks like barely any English and mm. I, but I don't know like medical terms in Spanish, right? Like that's like yeah. a little too advanced for me. But anyways, he, he asked me if I wanted to have kids one day randomly out of nowhere. And I said, yes, but I don't think I can. And in my like best possible Spanish, explain to him <laughs> why. And he was like, okay, I have something for you. Hmm. And he gave me a mixture of plants that he made specifically for me that also included honey from a bee on his property and this really specific kind of Amazonian grain alcohol. And he instructed me to drink this mixture every morning for a month. And as soon as I got back from the Amazon after that trip, I, I like immediately, first time Herman and I got together, if you know what I mean, yeah. I was pregnant, like immediately pregnant. That's insane, huh? Because yeah. actually, did you kind of make, make peace already with the idea that you were never going to be a mom? Because it seemed to be such an impossible thing. Yeah, I thought I would adopt, maybe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I knew I was going to be a mom. I just thought I probably wouldn't be able to give birth to a baby. Maybe it would be interesting to quickly share also how you and Herman met and fell in love. Yeah, I... Um, I do, I do think it's, I, I want to say, like, I do think it's really important that I point out we do have this really special relationship, but what makes it special is that we are always willing to work on the relationship itself as if it's its own energy and also work on ourselves. And that's what makes the relationship what it is, you know, yeah. it takes a lot of work. Of course. Um, but. Yeah, we, it's kind of magical how we met. I mean, I have to take you back. So yeah. in September, we'll, we'll have been together for 10 years. Wow. Um, or sorry, nine, nine years, nine years. Um, and I was in a relationship for six years with somebody who just was just, just the, the laziest person in the world. I mean, He would wake up and just like drink a beer in his coffee mug. Like I, I was, I was doing a lot of healing. I think there's a lot of reasons why 
I got into that relationship in the first place, but it's too long of a story to get into. So I'll just start with, I was in this six-year relationship and we actually got married. And as soon as we got married, I knew that I made this horrible mistake. And so immediately wanted to get a divorce. Mm. And so we, we got a divorce. I asked him to move out and for the first time in my life, I found myself like actually feeling my age. I only, I only ever felt much older than I was. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was 28. Yeah. And it was summertime in New York. And all of a sudden I felt like I was in my twenties in the summer in New York, you know? So for the first time in my life, I went out on dates and I had my apartment to myself. It was, it was amazing. I mean, the dates were super disappointing, Um, Mm -hmm. but it was like a really, really fun summer. And then when my ex moved out, he had taken everything. He took all the furniture, of course, because he didn't want to have to like go out and get that stuff himself. So I had this like empty apartment and this clean slate and my friend Travis and his wife, Jenica, and also um, their little puppy came by and brought me a couch and helping them carry the couch in was Herman. Mm-hmm. And he sat down on my couch and he, it, on the couch that they brought me and he was like talking to me. And when he left, my friend that was there was like, you know, that really hot guy was flirting with you, right? Three days later, he puts this beautiful poem in my mailbox. There's things in this poem that nobody could have ever known about me. It's an eight-page poem. Crazy. And then three days after that, he asks me out to lunch. He turns to me at lunch and he goes, I will never be with anyone else in my life. I will wait for you as long as you need but I'm going to marry you one day. And this is our first date. Yeah. (laughs) I love this story. I can like, I can also see it in front of my eyes. It's so funny. Yeah. And I, I mean, if it was anyone else saying this, I would have like ran in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. But there, I mean, there was this really strong feeling I had around him. Um, It was equal parts feeling afraid and safe at the same time interesting you know like yeah I never felt like that around someone before ever this feeling of like could it be love at first sight like I think absolutely but I think also like we remembered each other for sure like we had some kind of past life connection and then he he but there was still this like this fear part of me that didn't quite trust everything. And so he decided he was going to prove it to me. He, I went up to my brother's wedding. I come back. He redid my entire apartment with every single interior design detail that I could have ever wanted in there. He, um, he took me to Amsterdam. He showed me all around his city. He took me to Paris to dinner on top of the Eiffel Tower. Like he just went all out, like all out um, with going over the top with proving his love for me. Yeah. And 
Yeah. And then, you know, eight months later, I was pregnant with Munai and everything just like moved really, really fast. Uh, but I think we're still like uncovering a lot about each other and growing a lot together. You also said it's not just about finding this connection with this person, but it's also about putting into work, I guess. If you ever get into a fight, like how do you go about it? Well, we are both very, very fiery, passionate people. Like we, you know, and we're both very strong-willed. Also, both of us have been on our own since a very early age. And so we are both used to kind of doing our own thing. And like, mm-hmm. you know, so we definitely come head to head with a lot of stuff, but we don't get to the point of ever yelling at each other. And we take our space when we need to. And, you know, even in those moments where we're so angry with each other, we always remember the love that is there too. Yeah. 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 But we definitely have like a good amount of confrontations. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in my last relationship, we never fought ever. Mm. But I think that that is a really, that was a really like bad sign. Mm. Because basically that meant that like both of us were just keeping everything inside and harboring all these like unhealthy feelings, I think. Yeah. And you have a child now together, of course. What what does motherhood mean to you from a spiritual point of view? It means devotion like that that understanding of devotion and really yeah really what devotion means to me I have to take really good care of myself in order to be able to show up for this person and lead her by example Mm. Um, it's also like the the medicine of responsibility is something that I've really understood with being a mother and then unconditional love, like pure unconditional love. I, I feel that that's something that motherhood means also. Is it actually different to work with women who are pregnant? Pregnant women have a very interesting energy Hmm. where everything feels withdrawn and internal um and it's in and at the same time very very powerful now of course that's a generalization because each pregnant woman will be going through something different but commonly i do see this sense of the energy being withdrawn the aura actually being quite small oh interesting and all the energy is going in and when we look at society and mothers What do you feel is kind of lacking when it comes to like more support towards mothers? Well, could be anything. I think that the biggest thing is to not judge. Like we, we are, um, you know, we are asking to be in a place of evolution right now everything that's going on in the world is asking us to evolve. And I think one of the things that we need to evolve past is this sense of righteousness. And I am, I am right. And you are wrong. And the moment that I get into that place of I am right and you are wrong, I am in a place of ignorance Mm. and 
in my ego, right? Yeah. When a woman becomes pregnant, really from the moment she starts showing or telling friends, it, it is a moment in life where women face like the most judgment ever, you know? Mm. If you're, you know, if you're sitting or standing on the subway, it's like, well, you should, you should sit, you should sit. It's, you know, it's bad for the baby if you stand, if you're, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. anything you do, like there's so much judgment. It's unbelievable how you want to give birth. There's so much judgment around that. What you decide to do with vaccines or education or Mm -hmm. uh, the clothes you put your baby in or kind of diapers you use, if you breastfeed or you formula feed, all of these things. There's just like so much uh, un- unbelievable judgment, unbelievable righteousness. And so I think the big gift that we can give is just like not judging women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Because it's, yeah, Mothers are actually so powerful because they bring life, but then they're faced with so much judgment. Like, where do you think that energy comes from? Or in our society also? In a weird way, right? I think it's a form of compassion. Hmm. Like, I think that people are just trying to help. But there's like this place where it crosses the corner from you know, helping into this place of like, yeah, but I'm right. And this is exactly the way things need to happen in order for me to help. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like a tricky thing to navigate, which is why it's the, you know, the judgment is so incredibly prevalent. Um, But I think it's also like, uh, you know, it's a little bit of like a feminism issue of, looking at women as like the weaker sex when in fact, you know, when, you know, really like we are very powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that because like there's this view of weakness, everyone wants to tell us what we are supposed to do at a moment where there is perceived vulnerability such as pregnancy. And if you just look at our Western society, what would you hope will change when it comes to like mothers and their families? If you look at, for example, the work field, but also maternity leave, or it could be anything that the government maybe, you know, but we're still in this, in this, in this world, of course, but what would you hope would change really? I feel that it would be really beautiful if mothers could have the choice to spend that first year of the child's life being supported Mm -hmm. and that they could say, you know, I've worked all my life and this one year I'm going to take to devote to this life that I've created and that, you know, the companies that they work for hold space for that. Um, and the government that the company pays taxes to hold space for the company to be able to support that, that would be really beautiful. Um, I also think that, you know, support structures around when a mother wants to get back to work and things like that would be, would be great. And, 
just in general that women begin to understand that they are enough and that they're doing enough and that being a mom is enough. Like it's enough to do that. You don't have to, you, you don't have to be like a really powerful CEO and a mom of four. Although if that's what you want to do, that's great. Like just spending time with that devotion and energy towards your child is enough. I think that that's important too. I also wanted to ask you about a new offering of yours, Space by Mama Medicine. You only started that, I think, a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, why, why did you want to start Space? And yeah, what can people expect of it? Space by Mama Medicine is an online membership program providing you with consistent ceremony through online live offerings like a medicine reading ceremony, a full moon song circle, ask mama sessions where you get to meet with me and ask questions, um, a community sharing circle that's done live. And then we also have a, a community forum on the website. Then there's also ongoing offerings within Space by Mama Medicine, like a really specific, really gentle liver cleanse, a self-led silent retreat, way, different ways to work with your aura. So it's it's really exciting. It's like it's a lot. It actually feels like it's my new my new baby in a way. Hmm. And lastly, um, I wanted to ask you if you could kind of like meditate on this question for a little bit. If you would look into the future, like say 25 years from now when Moon Eye is all grown up, what would you hope motherhood and also the world around motherhood and their families to be like? Oh, I hope that it is, um, that this idea of women supporting women isn't just a hashtag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that it's really like- Absolutely. You know, that the, the birthing woman feels really supported by the women in her community and the new mom feels really supported by the women in her community. And, you know, we, that we, yeah, we really feel like so grateful for the way that our community supports us. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for this talk. It was really lovely talking to you, always. So, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for thinking of me. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to know more about Anna's idea of the new motherhood, head on over to the pilot episode, where she explains more about this. Please hit subscribe if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is up. Also, we'd be very happy to get your feedback and possibly suggestions for new topics or interviewees. Hope this episode informed, inspired, open up your mind in some way. Until next time.